Welcome to the Mostly Legal Podcast, a show where we take a closer look at the people who make law firms operate. Today, we are talking to Nick Nanty, Marketing Manager at Barnes & Thornburg. Nick made me jealous talking about all the fun hobbies he has, but he also made me think about ways we can make our law firms more accessible for those with hidden disabilities. I'm Amanda Copeless, Executive Director for the law firm of Sheffield, Loman & Wilson. And I'm Rob Joyner, Chief Revenue Officer at Centerbase. If you're a loyal listener to our podcast, you know that I love talking to people in marketing roles and especially enjoy learning what large law firms are doing to drive customer engagement. Let's dive in. Today, we're talking to Nick Manti. And Nick, you work at Barnes & Thornburg, and you're actually the second person we've had from your firm on this uh, season. And I really appreciate that. I'm guessing it's because you're all just amazing over there. Nick is the marketing manager, and you've been with them for about four years now, right? And I'm going to let you dive in, but um, we all know marketing is not my favorite topic, and I know Rob is just jonesing to go first question today. So I, will... I have the biggest smile on my face. I know you do. I know you do. <laughs> Nerd stuff for nerds. Okay, so I'll let you go first then, Mr. Joyner. Yeah, so Nick... Just starting out, how did you get into legal marketing? So I started my career at a small family-owned firm. My, my aunt has a, had a law firm. And when I was doing my undergrad at the U of M, I literally started, she founded her firm, I think it was like two years before I started doing things for them, but I literally started doing like odd jobs. It was like, we have 20 bankers boxes at a client's office and we need you to pick them up. And like, you know, so I would do that for them. And then it kind of slowly expanded. And from there, I started um, eventually started working full time and doing the firm management. I was the principal administrator. I think at our high water mark, we had about four, uh, 15 people. So I was uh, doing everything from marketing to HR to IT. And she had never really intended the firm to grow much bigger than that. And I was in my 20s. And so I was like, you know, I need to find a bigger firm. I want to do more. I want to work at a bigger organization. And I knew that I wanted to specialize because I'm sure as Amanda can tell you, being a principal administrator is hard. There are lots of... Yeah, but it's bad. It's the best. Every day is different. It's the best. There... I would never go into specialty again. I think that is... Re I do think every day is different, which is really nice. And like you get to like own projects, which is really great. Like I work on teams with projects now, but there were a couple areas I was willing to specialize in. One would have been HR. One would have been facilities and marketing was the other one. And so Sarah Evenson, who I think you've already had on the podcast, called me and was like, uh, this position has been open at my firm for five weeks. I know that you're looking for a job. Why haven't you applied for it? And I said, well, <laughs> it says it requires like, it was like five years of marketing, like specific experience. And I was like, well, that's just a small piece of my job. I don't think I'm qualified. And in a very Sarah Evenson way, she goes, look at the job description and call me after lunch. <laughs> and then we had like an hour long conversation. And she said, I expect you to submit your job application tonight. <laughs> and that was kind of how I that ended up. Very Sarah. Yeah, That's very Sarah. Specializing in that area. She talked a lot about lifting people up and encouraging them to go beyond their station. And so that doesn't surprise me. Yes. So you jumped into marketing, having not having a background in that. And how have you found it? Oh, it is. Uh, so... You, you and I might disagree on this, but it is way better than being a principal administrator. It's wonderful. I don't get called on Sunday morning anymore saying the servers are down or like uh, I at my, you know, have you ever had a call because there's a leak in one of your server rooms or file rooms because a pipe mm -hmm. burst? That hasn't ever, mm -hmm. that doesn't happen to me anymore. The, the emergencies <laughs> I deal with are like 
we need to get my client a gift. I need an emergency dinner reservation. We have a pitch coming up. Like it's much more, you know, I think something many of us in the legal management field say is, you know, we're not doing brain surgery here. Like there aren't lives on the line. And I have like moved yeah. even further away from the lives on the line. It's really nice. <laughs> and I really like it too, because the things that I like doing, I love sitting down and thinking about like, how can we approach a client? How can we connect with them? What can we provide for that client more? I love having our events and getting to meet all of the different people we work with. Like, I, I really love those aspects of it as well. So Nick, at a company like mine, a software company, marketing's one of the big measurements is pipeline creation, right? How much pipeline are they bringing in? At a law firm, what are those responsibilities and what are you really measured on? Sure. So I think metrics is something that law firms are just generally bad at and um, figuring out, you know, ROI, like we're just, we're not good at that. Like that's not something law firms are known for. (laughs) But the things that we measure are, that I measure my success on. So I work on our, I'm a marketing manager. I work on our, uh, uh, you know, marketing is one to many, business development is one to one. So I work on the one to many side of things. I do work on some of those smaller projects as well, but I'm not working on RFPs or pitches. So that's a really easy for my colleagues who work on that side. It's a really easy metric to say like, yeah. well, we won, you know, 75% of our pitches this year. Yeah. So the metrics I work on are a little bit softer. It's, did we have an event? If we had that event, did the right clients show up? Did our attorneys feel like they had time to connect with those clients? Were there meetings set up after those events or follow-up set up after that? So it's not quite as hard. You know, it's not as easy to put numbers on some of those things. I think also another thing that we work on and focus on is just making sure that doing our best to make sure that, especially in the markets I work at in, in Minneapolis and Salt Lake City, we're, you know, uh, we're a big fish nationally or in some of our larger markets, but I have, you know, 50 people here in Minneapolis. So it's making sure that we're always like pushing our brand in those ways, making sure that when someone says, um, I work at Barnes and Thornburg, they don't go a bookstore, you know, (laughs) they know what that means. Um, So they're a little bit softer. I don't have, um, it's not the same as what you would do where you're like, we have this many um clicks or we got this many views on something you know we do do thought leadership like that but it's not quite the same amanda i have one more question and i'm just going to go through it and you can you can go next okay so where do you think a lot of law firms big or small miss on marketing Ooh, that's a really good i feel like he's directly targeting me when he asks these questions you are about to go into your marketing meeting so this is like good good prep for that i think that's something a lot of firms miss, especially on the smaller side, but they expect results overnight. I think that's when I'm having a discussion with an attorney, that is the, the, even with a management committee, like a lot of the things that we talk about doing are things that, you know, yeah, great. We might be able to get in front of a client and turn that into work in a couple of months or like that would be a really quickly, quick turnaround. But a lot of the things we're doing are, we're looking for small improvements over three or four years, you know? I think the thing that I describe what we do and I did when I'm talking to an attorney, especially, you know, a newer associate or someone working on a business development plan is this is like going to the gym. You don't do one, you know, six minute ab exercise and wake up and expect to have a six pack or maybe you do, but that's not, you know, you really you're going to the gym for years before you're going to see like substantial results. And unfortunately, you have to keep going to the gym. (laughs) Oh, is is that like Rob giving up his bike? (laughs) 
You cycled. Didn't no. you buy? Didn't you give up the Peloton? You went so hard on it forever, and then just gave it up. No, I haven't given it up. Mm. I'm taking better care of my body, though, and I'm not oh. pushing myself through. So I don't have pain. to get. I haven't been getting the text. I broke my record. I broke my record. I broke my record. No, I haven't been breaking records. But <laughs> Nick, I'd agree with you. You're not going to go to the gym and get a six pack. Just like in marketing, you're not going to get the results uh, overnight unless you have some weird genetic thing where you just get a six pack now. Yeah, or you get really lucky, right? You just happen to be like yeah. talking to that person from a Fortune 500 company who's like, "Oh, I'm a new GC. I'm like, I hate our 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 representation and want to give it all to you." Like those things do happen, but. I think, you know, especially when we're talking about doing some things like advertising or branding or like a sponsorship of something. I mean, as you know, working with ALA, like you're not going to sponsor one year and have a whole new book of business. Like it takes years and years right. to develop those relationships. And you might be investing in a relationship with someone at a company who is in the wrong position now, but at their next job, they're going to be at that D or C-suite level. Um, and making those decisions, or maybe there's going to be a transition within their organization, and suddenly they are going to be the decision maker. So I think a big thing that I see, and you know, there's plenty of business development marketing folks who kind of temper that within firms, but when I'm having one-on-one -on -one discussions with attorneys, that's a big thing I see is, well, I did two hours of marketing this month, and I'm like, that's really great. <laughs> and do it for, you know, 36 more months, and maybe we'll get you a client. <laughs> Nick, Rob started out this episode by reminding me how young you both are and how I'm apparently a grandma because I'm like less than 10 years older, but whatever. What's next for you in your careers? Do you have some kind of idea of where you want to go after? I don't want Barnes and Thorberg to see, think you're leaving, but where do you see that progressing? So first, let's start with a disclaimer that I love Barnes and Thorberg. I really enjoy the people I get to work with and I love the culture we have where I feel like I get to get invited in on projects and get to have a seat at the table. But for me, as I do look at the next 10 and 15 years of my career, I would like to progress. Um, I'm working in that marketing role now, again, one to many. Um, I would like to kind of transition to that business development role, that, that one to one or one to few. Um, because I love the coaching aspect of that work where I get to sit, you get to sit down with an attorney and say, let's build you a business development plan. Let's figure out the types of marketing and business development that you really like, that, in that inspire you, that you're passionate about. So I'd like to transition to that area. And then um, if we're talking more long-term goals, I would love to move into D and C suite at an AMLA 100 firm. C suite is like a stretch and honestly, like every, level I know at an MLA 100 firm has a very stressful life and I don't know if I want that stressful life but I would certainly <laughs> like to, to have a team and manage folks that's something I do miss from my firm administrator days is being able to sit down I have some you know formal and informal mentorships now but being able to sit down with someone who reports to you and say ask, ask exactly what you just did how can I help you grow how can I help you learn something what do you want to do next is a really great thing that I want to continue to do Rob's being quiet because he's drafting your offer with right now. So. <laughs> Got it all written out. Do you have an in at Kirkland for me? He's doing it by Rob? hand. <laughs> Do I have a Do you have an in at Kirkland for me or or uh, <laughs> You're 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 leaving firms we'll make to go sure over to, tag to the dark him in the, side. The post. I think <laughs> that would be absolutely that would be a hilarious job interview. There was a you know, you see those like viral posts. I think I actually saw it on LinkedIn, but he was a a product designer who made his resume look like an Amazon page and like his like Amazon reviews and like 
it like went viral and like that would be like kind of on that level of applying for a job right (laughs) i would love to see that resume mine's like black and white and you know nobody looks at mine anymore so (laughs) every time i talk to a friend you know especially because i used to be in a forward administrator role like i used to hire people i used to look at resumes i don't do that anymore but whenever someone is going to do a job interview i'm like let me look at your resume like i'll help you and some of them have such cool resumes and i'm like no mine is just black text like in times new roman font (laughs) but I think it could be it could be worse. It could be Comic Sans. OK, so I might. Hey, look, we all need to do those things to get pulled to the top of the pile. And that would certainly get you flagged. <laughs> you would get flagged. <laughs> it's my sure. resume written in papyrus. Um, <laughs> going back to like what I want to do and where I want to go. I think I this is like a stretch goal, but it's that thing like, you know, you have a bad day at work and you think about like, what do I want to do? Like, what could I do? There's an ALA member here in Minnesota who we were doing an exercise at a retreat once and she instantly said, I want to own a winery. Like that's the thing she, she fantasizes about. And I was like, Oh, that's like the best one. Mine is like, I would like to do consulting work and like do um, like go into companies and do strategic consulting work. So hopefully once I've built up my resume and my pedigree a little bit more in the DNC suite, um, maybe when I'm like semi-retired would be able to do a little bit of consulting work. <laughs> I'll tell you what, when I get the COO role at Kirkland, I will call you and you can be my CMO. Oh, that's great. That is in writing. In, it's being uh, recorded. It's being recorded for future. How about instead of CMO, you just hire me as like a consultant with like a six, seven hundred thousand dollar a year. Like, can, like that way I don't Done. have to like work there. <laughs> Done. Done. Absolutely. So, Rob, did you have one or can I go again? <laughs> I have plenty of questions, but... Okay, uh, go ahead. Go, go ahead. No, no, go. You're dirt. You mentioned the advice you give to associate attorneys in, in relation to marketing. My question is, uh, what advice do you give them around building their book of business? How do you uh, recommend them start that process? And then also, does LinkedIn play into that at all? Yeah. So and how do you recommend them using LinkedIn? I was just sending, I just sent an email to some attorneys this morning. They're all partners, not associates, but we're trying to figure out in the Salt Lake City office, we're going to do an event later this year. And one of our options kind of fell through and they were kind of, they were worried about it a little bit. And I was like, look, folks, it's important what we do. But the most important thing to me is that you have that invite and that email to send to a client and that touch point to say, I'm thinking about you, I wanna do something with you. And I really view LinkedIn as an extension of that. Having things to post about on LinkedIn, getting in front of your clients and your network and reminding them that you're there is what LinkedIn is for. LinkedIn is not gonna bring you a huge book of business. I mean, it might, again, you might get lucky, like you might roll those dice, but it's about staying in front of your clients and your network. And I have had great success stories from attorneys who are like, I met this person at a conference once and they saw that I posted about our best places to work award. I've literally never talked to that person. And then he set up a meeting with me and I have a file from him. You know, that that sort of thing does happen, but it's more so about like staying in front of your really important, the people that you're connected to. Like when I post on LinkedIn, it's about staying in front of Amanda, you know, cause we're not in the same office. We're not in the same state. We see each other once or twice a year. And she's going to see that note that, that I won an award or that our office is doing something cool. Why would you do me. that? <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. Staying connected with me gets you places, Mr. Joyner. I'm on a podcast. Just so you know. This is literally on my bucket list is to be on a podcast. So we're achieving goals today. <laughs> One of the interesting things about LinkedIn, I think, that's different than, than the other platforms is the lurkers. You have a lot of people that just lurk yeah. and don't interact. Mm-hmm. And so uh, people will post something, they don't get a bunch of likes or comments, and they're like, okay, I'm done. 
but it's about being consistent. And it's also, you know, a lot of people just don't interact. They just go through and scroll. And it's about that. Like, I think, again, like someone sees your name come up once and they're not going to reach out to you. They might, but it's about that, like multiple, seeing you multiple times. A great example of that is this was shortly after I started at Barnes. It was probably in 2018, 2019. Um, since I took on the marketing role, I was really a lot, I've been a lot more active on LinkedIn. And I had posted something and I was at the ALA Minnesota conference and one of our business partners came up to me, she works with Nals. And she goes, hey, I saw that you posted something on LinkedIn, you're in a marketing role. Would you like to come speak at a Nals meeting about nice. LinkedIn? And so it's like, you know, yes, she didn't reach out to me directly because of the LinkedIn post, but because she's seeing me active and seeing me do things. And then we see each yeah. other in person. She said, yeah, do you want to do this speaking engagement? And it was great. I did a, a program for them on LinkedIn for non-attorneys, which was really fun. The other thing you asked, the other question was, what do I get, what advice do I give to associates? And I think other than the gym analogy, which is something I use too often, unfortunately, is the, <laughs> great. just make sure you stay connected with everyone in your network. Your friends from law school are going to be in-house and it's more and more so than it was even 10 years ago, right? they're going to go in-house maybe in five years instead of 15 years. So those are great people. And then I also think too, I encourage them to try many different types of business development and marketing, right? Like try writing something, try speaking, try going to networking things and try those things two or three times. But let's figure out what you like and what you're passionate about. And also let's try to connect your passions to that marketing aspect, that networking aspect. Let's get you on a board of a charity you like or a trade group you enjoy because it's going to make it easier. Can I tell you what this old lady tells her associates when she's I thought you were about taking notes. Development? No, I mean, it's, uh, listen, I am on LinkedIn and I do have to give associates advice on business development. So I have a little like one thing to say about it. What I tell people is to take what you've learned in LinkedIn and remember it for the personal touch, right? And so it's people in my age or whatever if you see something on LinkedIn that they have done something great, sure, you can like or comment, but the next time you see them in person, you need to remember that they won an award, that they posted at something, or you're sending them a little congratulations, hey, congratulations on the new job, on a little note card that they're going to keep and eventually they're going to throw away, but it has a deeper connection. So what the advice I always give is use social media for a knowledge output and then use that in your business development connections. That's so, so smart. And that's my entire knowledge about social. I media. think those follow-up pieces are so important too. I mean, I have, that's something I talk about every time we do a big event with attorneys. I'm like, great. I love that 20 of your clients were there. Now send them all an email and say, or at least the top five and say, it was great talking to you about blank. I'd love to grab coffee. I'd love to have lunch, you know, um, or just, it was really nice to see you. Like people remember those things. I have a stack of little cards in my office from, that someone sent a thank you card or a congratulations card. I mean, maybe I'm really sentimental, but I think about those things. A partner told us yesterday that what he will do is when he walks out of a meeting with somebody, he will text himself a note about the person he just met. So the next time he sees them, he can search those text messages to remember. And I said, why don't you like put it in their contact? You know, he said, that's way too complicated. And then all that reminded me is the Michael Scott. I don't know if you've ever seen The Office, but his way of keeping track of contacts was he kept it on a Rolodex, which you two are both too young to know the Rolodex, but he would color code it. And the funny line is if he we color coded, one. if he color, okay, if he color coded it in green on the back of it, it meant to go ahead and 
shut up about it. And so when he left and they got his Rolodex full of contacts, they were trying to contact and everything that was green. They were like, oh, I want to talk to you about this. And he's like, mm, they don't know my system. <laughs> Sorry, that's a tangent. I love, I love it. The no, I think I tell people to do that too. And I, again, it's like, you have to find whatever works for you, whatever is easiest. If it's easiest to keep, I know some folks who love an Excel spreadsheet and that's how they track that stuff. I put notes in people's contacts and like, this is maybe jaded, but like, I'll put in like spouse name, kids names, mm -hmm. going on a vacation Absolutely. to Europe. And then, so when I see you next year at the ALA conference, I can say, how was your trip to Spain? And you're, you know, I don't know your husband's and kids names. So this is a bad example. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I barely know them most days. So it's okay. <laughs> we talked a little bit before about some of the struggles that you have had in starting out a legal career and dealing with being dyslexic. So yeah. I hope you're okay with us talking about that, but I'd love to just kind of hear your insights in that and what your struggle and journey have been like. I'd love to talk about that. And I think so just for everyone that knows dyslexia, it's a cognitive disability. It's a learning disability is another word for it. And when you think of dyslexia, kind of the trope is like, oh, letters and numbers flip around. Like that's what people, the Sesame Street example. And that's not quite how it works. The way it actually works is the way um, my brain formed, if you're looking at a word and you're going to sound out the syllables, I, I can't do that. I can like kind of do it. But so if you give me, especially like it's super hard with like names because names are like kind of like gibberish words. And right. so if I've never seen that like last name before, like I cannot tell you what it says. I will do my best to sound it out. And you're going to be like, you are a nut. Like, how did you figure this out? One of my sayings, especially to my partner who uh, unfortunately has to edit a lot of my like work if I'm going to do a post on LinkedIn or if I'm going to do like a resume or something like that. Uh, he's a he's an edit, actually a magazine editor. It takes a really like creative person to come up with new ways to spell things. And I, I can do that very well. So um, this is something I've struggled with my whole life. I process information much more auditorially, auditorially than visually. Uh, reading is really slow for me. Even when, if you send me an email, I make my computer read it to me so I can hear it because that's how I'm going to understand okay. it better. If um, I'm reading something that's long on my phone, I will make my phone read it to me out loud. And this is something that I've absolutely struggled with. It's kind of stressful in a marketing role because if I have a typo or I use the wrong word in something, a LinkedIn post, I I truly can't tell you. I can't. I cannot tell that that's the wrong thing unless there's a little oh, red wow. underline underneath it. And if I pick the wrong word, like I can't tell. So it's totally a struggle and it is kind of a struggle working with attorneys sometimes because if you don't know, attorneys are very detail oriented and they really do equate being able to do written communication and specifically like spelling and grammar as like an intelligence metric. And oh, yeah, it's not. 100%. Um, and so sometimes I have to have discussions with attorneys and say like, hey, I want to let you know, like um, you correct my spelling sometimes and like. I'm spelling this wrong because I have this disability. And sometimes if I'm being a jerk, I say, hey, did you know that I have an ADA recognized disability? And when you do, <laughs> uh, but so I have to have those conversations. It also means that I have conversations with our IT group about making sure that my computer has the right screen readers on it and making sure that documents are sent to me in the right way. And it's something that means that I'm extra sensitive about things when we're sending out an invitation for one of our events. I want to make sure that that event, that invite is able to be read with a screen reader. So someone who, like me, has uh, maybe a reading disability or someone who has a vision impairment has, you know, can can read that and access that. So 
I start a lot of those conversations within our firm or within our group. Earlier this year, I brought uh, anyone in the legal space. The ADA has a really wonderful, it's like a 45-page document on how to host accessible events, how to run accessible online events, how to host an accessible conference, how to have an accessible meeting. And the two members of their task force, I invited them into our firm to do a training with us. Um, and some of the things like, you know, I focus on the dyslexia thing and like reading and, and text because that's important to me. But some of the things are as easy as like making sure you have space between tables. So someone who is in a wheelchair or uses a walker can get through. Um, making sure that obviously making sure that there's like stairs in a, a space or there aren't stairs or making sure that a space isn't too loud. So someone who has like an auditory right. disability can hear what's going on. So I think accessibility is something I really think about a lot. And it's also interesting navigating some of those spaces because it's a hidden disability, right? You can't see it. If I didn't tell you about it, you probably wouldn't know. You might think, well, Nick right. spells things wrong sometimes or Nick yeah. uh, uses the wrong word every once in a while. It sounds like because of this, you have a strength that a lot of other people do not have. And you are really thinking about stuff as far as accessibility that the rest of us ignore, right? So I'm getting a new website built right now and having it ADA compliant is extremely important to me. Mm -hmm. And Rob and I've had this conversation where I had to explain, love Rob, why it is important and why it is important that we have it tested. We use a company that test, uh, that actually uses vision impaired people to do the testing of our site and give us the certification for it. And that's something that's, that's, I mean, it, there's still, it, you know, emerging litigation on it, but it's something that's just personally very important to me. So I love to hear how you're using something that some people may perceive as a weakness as a strength and bringing that into organizations that wouldn't otherwise have that, I really appreciate that. And I truly like view it as a strength. Like I think, first of all, it's something I've dealt with my whole life. So like, I don't know what living without it is like, but it's also something that it makes me a really creative thinker in different ways. Cause I have mm -hmm. to think about like, how can I access this? How can I work? How can I see this? I think an example of that is like um, at CLI recently, like I had to read something in front of a group. So like, I like, memorized it because <laughs> I had to read it like you know like I have to find ways to work around some of those things so it makes me think about things from maybe a little bit of a different angle and it's something that I found that is you know helps me feel more successful at least well you're a very strong speaker so to the extent you're just memorizing it I appreciate that but but I've heard you speak multiple times and you are very strong thank speaker. you do you have any other compliments you, you want to grab what what do you want to say does my hair look good or... <laughs> it looks great thank you it looks great <laughs> So, so along the same lines, you know, Amanda and I, we've talked about this multiple times. She, she and I both struggle from anxiety, right? And for me, it was debilitating when I was in college. At some points, like I stayed away from certain events. I stayed away, you know, it just, it, it really had an impact on me. It's had a positive impact on me too. It's why I got into art. But I noticed your meditation practice and I wanted to ask you more about that. Yeah. It's something I use for anxiety. But I want to hear more about, you know, why why it's such a big part of your life. Well, I first want to say, like, thank you for sharing that, because talking about anxiety and and mental illnesses and mental issues are like it's hard. Like I struggled with anxiety a lot when I was in undergrad. And I actually ended up dropping out of school because I got really depressed and like couldn't mm -hmm. leave my apartment for a month or two months. And I'm going back to finish my degree now. So like I'm still feeling those repercussions now. But for me, I think with meditation. I'm, I'm not struggling with anxiety in the way that I was when I was 22 anymore, thank God. 
But for me, meditation is just a way for me to like slow down and remember that I am like separate from the things that I'm feeling, you know, like I have, I can have a temper sometimes. I'm like, you know, you ever feel that like jag of anger or whatever? And you're like, <laughs> Amanda's like laughing. Yeah. Literally Who every I time I talk to Rob. <laughs> <it's> so... <laughs> and you want to, yeah, no, exactly. And I think for me, meditation has really helped kind of separate that from myself and understand that like those feelings are real and they exist and you can feel them, but you don't have to engage with them. I think one of my favorite um, kind of like explanations of like the mind or like consciousness, I'm pretty sure it's from Sam Harris, but I'm, I'm not quite sure is the, they use the example of like your, your mind is kind of like a roommate that you have to live with. Like you're stuck in an apartment with, and they're just like always like spouting things out and always saying things. They're like, remember that time in fifth grade when you really embarrassed yourself or, Oh, can you believe that this person said that to you? And like kind of learning to like, separate yourself from that and that you don't have to engage with that has been really helpful for me. Thank you for sharing that. So I could meditate Rob away. I need to think about it. When you think of meditation too, for a lot of people, they think, oh, great, I got to, you know, give it 30 minutes an hour a day. For me, you asked about my Peloton. For me, I'll work out and I'll do a five minute meditation afterwards. I try to get five minutes in. If I can give it five minutes, it makes a huge impact on my day and on my week. So it's easier to think about it that way, too. It, it doesn't have to be a big time suck for you. Uh, it's something that you can slot in almost anywhere at any time. I would say my goal is to do 10 minutes a day, and I probably achieve yeah. that three times a week. But like if, if, if I've gone like 10 days or seven days without meditating, I don't know about you, but I'll kind of have that feeling like I'll start feeling anxious or start feeling stressed out. And I'm like, what's wrong? And it's like, oh, I'll take a 10 minute meditation. It's like, oh, that's what I was missing. Like I needed that time. (laughs) I also feel like, I don't know about you, since I've started meditating, my focus has generally improved. Like I am, can be so much more focused on things than I used to be. And And it can be in different forms too. Like for me, meditation at one point was just sitting there by myself with my pot of tea right? Or it can be more focused meditation um, or, or more standard practice, or it's going on a walk, right? And putting your devices away. So there's so many different ways for you to experience that. But I'm, I'm the same way right now. I'm feeling that anxiousness because I've been traveling and I haven't had time to sit down and, and meditate. So I totally agree. Yeah. And I think physical activity, like you said, too, is so important and can be a form of that meditation. Like, connecting to your body again. It's actually like, I'm looking at my journal, my journal's right here on my desk at home. And one of the things that I repeatedly find myself journaling is like, you know, if I haven't had time to work out for a week, I will be like, I'm so stressed and I can't take it. And I'm really pissed off and everything is bad. And then I worked out this morning and I felt so much better. And I all, and like the thing I repeatedly journal is I need to remember to like do some physical activity every day. (laughs) And I am probably going to continue to learn that lesson over and over again for the rest of my life. But yeah, that's something I repeatedly learn. You've already mentioned two of your hobbies and I have this list of all these hobbies that you have. And the list that I have right here in front of me is travel, flying drones, dogs, meditation, glass art, journaling, soap maker, cycling and lifting, designing your own stationery and Snapchat. Are there, you get to pick one (laughs) to talk about. Why, why do you have so many hobbies? Well, we don't have kids. So like that. I was going to say, when do you have time for hobbies? That was the second, that was the follow-up. We don't have kids. So that is why I also, I just have like a, you know, like the devil like plays with idle hands, right? Or whatever that phrase is. Like, I want to make sure I have something to do. (laughs) 
So I started glass art. I don't, well, technically I do kind of blow glass. When you think of blowing glass, you think of someone like shoving a big stick into a furnace full of molten glass. It's like dripping, you know, like lava. That's not what I do. I have done that a couple of times. That's very cool. I work on a torch um, and hold two glass rods in my hand and make sculptures that way. So I make a lot of, I'm actually trying to, you know, right now it's the fall um, and I have an appointment tomorrow to go into the studio and I'm going to start working on Christmas ornaments uh, because I know it's going to take many, many tries before they're good. But like, I want to uh, ho hopefully maybe like at least give my mom a Christmas ornament, maybe give other people I'm one. Like, I, I want to get on that list. If I get, like, how do I get on the Christmas ornament list? If I, I get more than things. one good one, I will make sure I send one to each of you. Yes. What I've really been making a lot of is marbles. And like, not just like I'm making like a little round piece of glass. Like, so what I like to do is I will set opals inside of them because opal is one of the only stones that can like take the heat of the glass. So you can put an opal in it and then you build this like lens of glass around it. So it magnifies and it looks really cool. And then um, uh, one of the things I most common commonly do is work on like what's called a vortex, which is basically just like a spiral shape inside the glass. And so because it's glass, um, you can see through it and you have to build it from the inside out. So you actually work on the spiral shape first and then work on making it round and adding the pattern on the outside. And I've had a lot of fun with it. I started it at the beginning of this year. So it's a relatively new hobby for me, but I do try to get into the studio, ideally at least once a week, but um, sometimes it is like only once a month, unfortunately. Nick, I could talk to you about all these um, <laughs> hobbies and well, literally everything else forever, but we've got to move into our final segment. And this is the segment we call Pitch Your Passion. And you are very passionate about so many things, but we'd like to hear you choose something and and pitch it to our audience and, okay. and go for well, it. Well, like I said, that a uh, member of the ALA chapter here in Minnesota who said, my passion is I want to own a winery someday. I wish my passion was that good. It's not that good. That's a great passion. Maybe I'll steal it. Um, my passion is, so I really truly believe the reason that I am here and I'm on the planet is to experience love and joy with my friends and family and help them experience as much of that. So my passion, my ask to everyone on this podcast, and like you can start rolling your eyes now, is to approach one more human interaction a day, at least one, and say, I want to leave, I want to leave this interaction with this person experiencing joy. I want this person to feel happy and excited when they leave this, this interaction. So it's not everyone. You don't have to pick that partner or that associate or that, you know, HR manager who's on your nerves all the time. Like it'd be great, a great practice to try that, but you can try your kids, your husband, your wife, you can try a barista, just approach, uh, approach one more situation where Instead of looking at it as what what can I get out of this? How can I end this as quickly as possible? End it with how can I connect with this person and help them experience happiness right now? Amanda's melting in her chair. No, I, I, well, what I was going to say is we do this podcast so that our dozens of listeners, out of all of them, one of them can get some our joys. one dozen no. listener. Our one listeners? dozen listeners. That's yeah. one in 12. Nick just said I yes. have to do one. So I only need one person from this whole episode to experience joy. And I have met Nick's challenge. So whoever's listening, if you have received joy out of this, please respond. So I know that I have made my mark on the world. You're doing a, you're doing like a blanket approach. You're like, someone's going to feel joy every time they listen to this. Like, I don't have to do that ever. I'm throwing joy out and hoping it sticks. That's it. <laughs> Well, Nick, thank you for joining us today. We've had great conversation and we really appreciate you being here. I think it's been wonderful to chat with both of you and to get to know both of you a little bit more. Thank you for having me. 
Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Most Illegal Podcast. If you like what you heard, make sure you like and subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. You can also check us out online on mostlylegalpodcast.com where you can sign up for our email list, get weekly recaps, and get some of your very own Mostly Legal swag. Thank you.